Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. We're glad that you're with us, all of us here in the room, and those of you joining us online on YouTube or Facebook, wherever, uh, we are glad that you're here. We like to begin our services with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long time. The Lord be with you. Thank you. You actually sounded like you met that. That's good, because uh, we want to be aware of God's presence as he gathers us together to worship him. I know we come from all sorts of different places, all sorts of different things going on, and uh, it's good to be able to offer all of that to God as we, uh, as we sing to him, as we pray to him, as we listen for his spirit speaking through the scriptures, as we gather around his table. So let's bow our heads and pray to him as we begin. God, we are so grateful uh, for your presence with us throughout the week, through all the ups and downs, the highs, the lows. God, you are, you are there and you are with us. You're guiding us. You're giving us strength. Uh, you're giving us wisdom. You're giving us peace. But God, we, we need moments like this where we gather together with other folks and we, uh, and we just kind of focus our attention on you for, a, uh, for an hour or so. Um, God, we need moments like this because sometimes, man, sometimes it's so easy to forget. Sometimes we need to be reminded of your presence. We need to be reminded of your grace, of your goodness, of your faithfulness, of your love. So today, God, we bring to you all that we are all that we have in us and, and with us. God, we bring it all to you, and we pray that, well, just that you can be the good God that you are, that you can be gracious and compassionate, uh, that you can give us mercy where we need it, give us strength where we need it, wisdom, peace, healing, comfort, whatever it might be. Thank you, God. Please, uh, as, we, as we worship you, as we reach out to you, uh, I pray that you'd help us to, to sense you um, really, truly being here and connecting with us. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're able and interested, let's stand and let's sing. All right, good morning. So we're going to worship together. I'm thankful and excited to be with y'all and uh, just recognizing that it's a new day, a new opportunity to recognize God's faithfulness and his goodness. So let's sing to him this morning.
from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on Thank you. I invite you to pray with me, if you would, please. Lord, we truly stand in you alone. We truly trust that, that this is the, the firm foundation that we have. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Lord, there's nothing beyond that that we need to desire apart from you. There, though, though there's things that we want, Lord, there's, there's circumstances that we would like to see work out a certain way, Lord, we know that we can trust you. We know that you really, truly are the King of kings and Lord of lords, and we worship you this morning, Lord, in that truth and in that spirit. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you are that God. You're that God, whether our, our skies are sunny or like today, they're a little gloomy and thundery and 
rumbly. And Lord, regardless of that, you are still on the throne. You are still who you have always been and will always be. Father, we can never, never express to you our gratitude for that. But Lord, we're going to try. We're going to keep trying. Day in and day out, we're going to offer you our worship and our praise and our thanks because you alone deserve it. Father, what a great, great, good God you are. We thank you this morning for each person here. We thank you for those that have joined us here in person, for those who are joining us online. Lord, I already sense your spirit, your sweet, gentle, powerful spirit here in this place. Thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you, Father, for, for just letting us know that you are here with us. You're here among us. You're here for us. And Lord, I just ask that your presence would continue to permeate everything that is said and done today. I pray that your spirit would pour out on Pastor Rich this morning, that as he brings your word for us, Lord, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to listen, and that we would, we would hear from you what it is that you need to say to us today whether it's an encouragement because of the week we've had or the month we're having or the year we're having, whether it's just um, it's, it's encouragement because, Lord, we've just, things have gone well and, and, Lord, you are just, you're just giving us that little bit extra grace this morning to say, keep going, you're doing a great job, or keep going, I'm right here with you. Whatever our circumstance, Lord, I thank you that you are in it and with us and through it, and we are going to make it if we just keep our eyes on you. So be with us the rest of this service, Lord, I ask. Very humbly, I ask. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. And now, the peace of the Lord be with you. Take a few moments, if you will, and pass the peace amongst yourselves. All right. I feel like at this point every week I need to apologize to those of you joining us online because you couldn't uh, shake hands and all that kind of stuff, but you can leave us a comment uh, there, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, or you could go to livinghope.info slash connect and jot us a note there, and that way we know that you are with us and we can pray for you or answer your question, whatever it might be. And, and that goes for all of us here in the room. Of course, you can go to that same website, or you can grab one of those little green cards back there on the table and jot a note or a question or uh, some way we can be praying for you or thanking God with you, and just make sure you drop it in the offering box, and if you put your contact info, I'll be able to follow up with you. And... Uh, and that'll be good. Uh, and if you're giving today, you can give online, you can give in that box. Those both work. Again, thank you. Huge thank you to all of you who faithfully, faithfully give. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Next Sunday, we'll have breakfast together after this service. So uh, all of you who are here, regular nine o'clockers, it's easy. You just stick around after and you eat. And, uh, but for those of you who might be uh, thinking about joining us next week, you're watching online today, or maybe you normally come at 1030, uh, you know, got to make sure you come early next week so you make it. Oh, and uh, thanks to all of you who cooperated and grabbed a name tag. Uh, some of you cruised by and didn't see it, but um, we used to do this like every now and then, like monthly, years ago. And, uh, and I know that for many of us, it's just real helpful, you know, because there's somebody you talk to and you met them, you know, three months ago. And, uh, and you've talked to them every Sunday since. 
and now you've forgotten their name, and it feels like, oh, I can't, I've been talking to this person for six months. How do I say, hey, I forgot your name? Uh, so this name tag, now you can like, oh, that's right. His name is, you know, Rich. That's, I've just been calling him Pastor. I forgot his name. So, all right. Um, anyway, thank you for, for doing that, even if it feels a little awkward. And then um, a week, for, it's not this next Sunday, but then the week after that, the 19th, I think will be our last bike giveaway out there. Uh, the the International Order of Odd Fellows do a great job of receiving donated bikes and fixing them up and donating them to whoever wants them. And we are happy to partner with them and, and host them in our parking lot once a month through the summer. So if you have a bike uh, that you want to donate or if you know someone who needs a bike, be here August 19th, 9 to noon, to either drop it off or pick it up. That'd be great. Okay, t- this morning's message, uh, I have to pick a title each week. And I, this week I just put, finally, Jesus because uh, I know some of you are excited that we're finally to the New Testament. Uh, this year we've been doing the, the big story of the Bible and uh, started in Genesis back in January. We're going to get to Revelation uh, in December and every month we're looking at a different book of the Bible. So uh, last month was Jeremiah and uh, was the last book of the Old Testament we looked at. This, this month we start uh, in the book of Matthew. Uh, there are four Gospels in our New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell the story of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, all that he did as he, as he walked this earth. And uh, uh, and then some. And so uh, we're going to look at Matthew. We had, we had to pick one of them because uh, we're not going to make it through all four. Uh, so we had to pick one to focus on. And Matthew seems like a good fit, um, well, as we'll see in just a minute. To get us into this, uh, the folks at the Bible Project have a great video. It's not the one that walks through that map that I've got on the tables. If you go to BibleProject.com and you search for Matthew, uh, you'll find that video if you want, or if you uh, type it into YouTube, Bible Project Matthew. They, it's, it's just long. So long they divide it into two videos, I think. Um, and so I knew you didn't want to watch all that. Besides, this video is part of their How to Read the Bible series. It talks about all four Gospels in a way that I thought was hugely helpful, connecting it with the rest of the story that we've been reading so far. So for the next uh, five minutes or so, let's, let's watch this video. There are four books in the Bible that are ancient biographies of Jesus. The Gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And while individual stories about Jesus and his teachings are familiar to many people, These books have way more to offer if we read them from beginning to end and see how they connect Jesus' story into the overall biblical storyline. So let's talk about how to read the gospel. First of all, this word gospel, what does it mean? Well, it means good news. Which raises the question, good news about what? Well, in Mark's gospel, Jesus enters the story announcing that the time is fulfilled. God's kingdom has come near, so turn around and trust this good news. So the good news is about God's kingdom arriving, but what does that mean? Well, it's Jesus' way of summarizing the whole biblical story that leads up to himself. The whole story. Okay, give me the short version. Well, the story begins with God creating a good world and then appointing humanity as his representatives to rule it. But then the humans rebel over and over, leading to a world of violence and death. That's a problem. But God's committed to making it work. So he chooses Abraham and his family to restart the project. Then through Moses, God brings the family into a garden land of abundance so that he can restore all of the nations through them. Right, Israel becomes a kingdom with amazing kings like David, but eventually Israel rebels too and it leads them into destruction. But Israel's prophets said that God wasn't giving up. He was going to personally come and restore Israel so that his justice and peace could spread to all nations and to all creation. This hope was called the kingdom of God. 
And that's what Jesus said he was bringing to Israel. Yes, Jesus' good news is about God's kingdom, the new creation that was arriving to restore humanity to their role as God's partners in ruling the world. This is why the gospel has so many stories about Jesus liberating people from death and disease, along with all of his teachings about generosity to the poor or forgiveness and loving your enemies. He was inviting people to live in God's new world. Exactly. And so this is one of the main goals of the gospel, to show how Jesus is bringing the whole biblical story to its fulfillment. So that's why the gospel authors are constantly appealing to the Hebrew scriptures while telling the story of Jesus. Yeah, like when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, Matthew reminds us that this was anticipated by the prophet Micah. And he directly quotes from Micah. Yeah, these direct quotes are really common. But more often, the gospel authors weave biblical phrases into the story without telling you, so you can discover it for yourself. Like when Jesus is baptized and God announces from the skies, You are my son, my beloved. With you I am well pleased. Now, if you do some digging, you'll find that God's statement blends together phrases from three biblical texts to identify Jesus as the royal son of David, the seed of Abraham, and the servant who's going to suffer for the sins of his people. Whoa, that is subtle. Yes, and the gospel accounts do this on every page. Every book is constantly showing how all of the biblical stories about Abraham or Moses and David and all the prophets, all of it points forward to Jesus. Now, why are there four different accounts? Wouldn't one be enough? Well, the diversity is on purpose. Each of the four gospel authors has shaped and arranged their stories about Jesus differently so they can emphasize different things about him. Matthew presents Jesus as a greater Moses, and so he's grouped Jesus' teachings into five large blocks, just like the five books of the Torah. Luke highlights how Jesus is God's royal servant from the book of Isaiah, who brings God's light to the nations. Mark presents Jesus as a new start for humanity, bringing the mystery of God's new creation crashing into the present. And John focuses on Jesus' claim to be Yahweh, the God of Israel, become human, to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Those are really different from each other, but they all tell the same basic story. A man from the region of Galilee teaching this good news but who's ultimately crucified as a criminal. Yes, all four books of the gospel are showing how the arrival of God's kingdom through Jesus led him up to the cross, where he was enthroned as the king of God's new world. He's given a robe, a crown, and a scepter. Right, and as Jesus suffers the consequences of humanity's rebellion, he's showing that the power of God's kingdom comes through his love and self-sacrifice. And when he's raised from the dead, we're watching the dawn of the new creation. So the gospel authors don't just want their readers to know about the good news of God's kingdom. They want them to become a part of it. Yes, the gospel is designed to persuade us to trust and follow Jesus so that we can participate in the new creation that he began.
Man, I love the work those guys do. Um, so again, you can go to BibleProject.com and find more uh, of what they have to say about the book of Matthew, uh, or you can just search for them on YouTube and you'll find it. Um, and so as we, as we dive into the book of Matthew, this, uh, it is important to realize this is kind of, the, the story of Jesus is the culmination of all that we've been looking at so far. And just as impatient as some of you have been uh, over the last seven months, now we're, we're just starting month eight, uh, to, to get to the New Testament, imagine for a moment uh, how eager the people alive at the time of Jesus were, you know. Uh, how many of you have? How many of you have watched the uh, that movie? Uh, that, not movie, TV show, The Chosen. Any of you watched The Chosen or, or bits and pieces? A few of you have, yeah. I highly recommend it. Um, I hadn't gotten around to watching it forever, and then I stayed up way too late last night binging the whole first season. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's on Netflix. The first season is, and so I still have to download the app and watch seasons two and three. And I think season four is like coming out now or something. But uh, it does an excellent job of kind of giving you a picture of what it might have been like to be one of Jesus' disciples or someone alive during that time. Now, obviously, it takes liberties with the story. It has to because it's, you know, the Bible doesn't go into enough detail. That uh, Well, there have been people who have used only the words of Scripture and have put that. But even then, they're having to take some liberties with, like, uh, some, some ideas of, like, well, you know, how did he say this or what was going on around him when he said this or those sorts of things. But it does an excellent job of kind of giving you an idea of this is what it might have been like. And you can see... The, the eagerness of the, the Jewish people uh, who, you know, they'd, they'd for years, they'd been telling the stories of how God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. Every year they would gather together and celebrate the Passover and, and remember these great acts of God in their past. And, uh, and then they would remember how God had led them through the wilderness, how he'd given them the law, how he'd led them into their own land, and all the, the story that they just kind of recounted in short version that we've been looking at so far this year. And They'd been for generations now living in kind of this waiting period. You know, uh, they'd basically been under the, the thumb of one world power after another with just a, a little brief period of independence uh, about 100 years or so before Jesus. But um, they'd been, you know, now under the thumb of Rome and eager for God to do what he's finally, he promised to do back through the prophets. To, to finally send this Messiah, this anointed king, who's going to restore them, who's going to bring the kingdom of God. And they're, they're so eager for God to finally do what he's promised to do. I, I know some of you might feel that. You know, we, we talked, uh, was it a couple of months ago, when we were making our way through the book of Job and talking about the difficulties that we face and how sometimes it feels like, you know, uh, we don't have an explanation, we don't know why, but we know things aren't right, and we're doing our best to trust in God, even if, if we might be complaining to God in the middle of it, but we're doing our best to keep our, our hearts aimed toward God, even with our complaints, because we're trusting that God is good and that God is going to someday make things right. And finally, Jesus shows up saying, it's time. It's happening. It's happening now. And so Matthew is one of those, and I, I love how the chosen portrays him as, as, you know, probably somewhere on the autism spectrum and, and walking around constantly with this little notebook and writing things down and like, well, maybe that's why Matthew is one of the gospel writers, one of the four who, who writes about uh, what Jesus said and did. And he starts his, his uh, gospel, his, I was about to say letter, but it's not a letter, it's a, it's a gospel, it's a story uh, of the good news of Jesus. Um, what I'm going to do this morning, what we're going to do, if you are looking at the notes of the scriptures, uh, in the first like three and four chapters, uh, they just point to the Old Testament scriptures over and over and over again. 
they quote the prophet Micah and the prophet Hosea and the prophet Jeremiah and uh, Isaiah like three times. And Jesus himself quotes Deuteronomy three times in his interaction with the devil. And then finally, we're going we're gonna to focus in on uh, some stuff in chapter four. So he starts it out by giving like Jesus' family tree or genealogy. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And that's, that's where he starts. He starts with Abraham and counts down, you know, Abraham had this kid who had this kid who had this kid all the way down to David. And then David had this kid who had this kid who had this kid down to the time of the exile in Babylon. And, who had, and then they had this kid, this kid, this kid until you get down to Jesus. And he, he ends up by saying, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, 14 from the exile to the Messiah. And so he's, he's just trying to show that, yeah, Jesus is in this line. And he's pointing out the high points. You know, Abraham, the father of our faith, who first trusted God and obeyed God and followed God. You know, we trace him back to, to Abraham, just like we all do. And, and he's in the line of David, that great king whom God promised you'd always have a descendant on the throne from the line of David. And Jesus is in the line of David. And through the, the exile that, that we're still, in some sense, living in, here comes the Messiah, the, the Christ, the anointed King. Messiah and Christ are two words that mean the same thing. It's a Hebrew word and a Greek word. They both mean the anointed one, the anointed king, the one that God has chosen. And then Matthew gives his birth story for, for, uh, for Jesus' birth and how he, how he came onto the scene. You know, Matthew and Luke both give us these, and we hear them every Christmas season. Luke gets a lot of attention because there's the angel and the shepherds and, and a conversation with Mary. Matthew focuses on angels visiting, uh, visiting Joseph. And, uh, and helping him to understand, like, it's okay. I know she's pregnant, but it's God's kid. You know, she hasn't been unfaithful. And then the, a star that appears and these wise men from the east who come to, to worship him. And uh, as, as the angel speaking to Matthew is, is one of these references, quoting the Old Testament. Uh, the angel says, she'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And I just put a little note in there. Jesus is Greek for Joshua, which means the Lord saves. So when they say, give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's because he's getting a name that means the Lord saves. And then when the angel is done, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And quotes Isaiah, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. It's one of the things that Matthew wants his readers, his hearers, us, to, to understand as we look at Jesus, that this is not just some normal human being, not even some special prophet sent by God, that this is, in some very real way, this is the Son of God. This is God present with us, God showing up on the scene, coming personally, as they said, coming personally to bring restoration, salvation, life. Well, then the, the wise men, the, Matthew tells a whole story about the wise men following the star, and they show up expecting to find a king, so they go to the capital, and they go to the palace thinking, hey, a new king's been born, we're here to celebrate, and the king says, I don't have a new baby, what's going on here? And he asks his people who know the Bible, like, hey, what do the prophets say the Messiah is supposed to be born? Maybe now is when this anointed king is, is coming, and they look to Micah, and uh, oh, that's, probably, that's what I've got there in your notes. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And they quote Micah, who says, yep, it's going to be in, in Bethlehem, this town of David. And so uh, Herod goes ahead and passes this word on to the wise men and says, uh, but when you find him, come back and tell me where he is so I can worship him too. And Matthew makes it clear to us he doesn't have any interest in worshiping this newborn king. He sees him as a threat, as a rival. And so the, 
the wise men go, they find Mary and Joseph and the child there in Bethlehem. Uh, Unlike all of the little displays that we put out every Christmas, they probably weren't showing up at the stable at the same time as the angels and the shepherds and all of that. This, this could have been up to two years later, which is why when the wise men are warned in a dream, hey, don't go back to Herod, he's got bad intentions, and so they go home by another route. Herod gets word of it, and he sends his troops to Bethlehem with orders to kill every male child under the age of two. This huge massacre God warns Joseph in a dream, hey, get your wife and kid and get out of here. And they escape to Egypt, which is when Matthew again quotes one of the prophets. He says, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. This might be a good moment to pause and to talk about what this means when they say uh, that this is fulfilled, what the prophet said. Um, Because if you go back and you read that passage from Hosea, it's very clear. It's talking about, he's, he's calling Israel, God is calling Israel his son. And saying, look, I called you out of Egypt. It's a reference back to his rescuing them from slavery. And so nobody looked at that. They looked at the Micah passage and thought, ooh, when the Messiah comes, he'll be born in Bethlehem. Nobody looked at the Hosea passage and thought, ooh, when the Messiah comes, he's going to come out of Egypt. You know, that... So it's not like every one of these that they say, hey, this is a prophecy that was fulfilled by Jesus. It's not that that was necessarily like... Uh, a forecast or a foretelling or a vision of the future that the prophet had saying this is what's going to happen. This is them looking at their scriptures and saying, wow, now we're seeing what that prophet described. We're seeing kind of an extra meaning in this that maybe they didn't even realize was, was there. You know, this is fulfilling this. This is making, this is filling this with a meaning that we didn't see before. So they look back and they see God saying, out of Egypt, I called my son. And they realize this Jesus is the son of God. And and what do you know? He went to Egypt, and he's coming back. This is also an example of how Matthew is trying to help us see that Jesus is, um, Jesus is doing what Israel failed to do. Jesus, Matthew portrays Jesus as, uh, and I think all the gospel writers do, but Matthew goes out of his way to portray Jesus as the, the kind of the true Israelite, as the one who does what God had intended for his people to do, but they were faithless. That's right? so what Jeremiah was, was describing to us last month. They were faithless. They failed over and over. They wandered from God. Jesus does not wander. Jesus faithfully does what, what his people were intended to do. And so he, he kind of goes back and, and like recaps the, the history of Israel with his own life, going to Egypt and then, and then eventually coming back. Uh, in, as Matthew describes that massacre, he quotes Jeremiah. He uh, says, Then what was said to the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. They saw what happened as all those parents mourned their, their murdered children. He says, yeah, it's much like what Jeremiah described as he was describing the people of Israel in the exile. The weeping, the mourning, the inability to be comforted. Well, eventually Herod died and called the Church of the Nazarene. Um, and anytime there's a reference to Nazareth, we have to like stop and point it out, you know, that Jesus was a Nazarene. You know, John was, John was a Baptist, but Jesus was a Nazarene, right? So anyway, so just a joke, just a joke. Um, but the reason the denomination we're part of is called the Church of the Nazarene is because the people who were starting it uh, were working with kind of the, the undesirables, the people from the wrong side of the tracks, the people that other folks weren't sure they wanted in their churches. And... Uh, and so as they were starting this church, they said, well, let's, let's call it, instead of calling it the Church of Jesus or the Church of Christ or the Church of this, let's, let's call him the Nazarene. We're the Church of the Nazarene because as Jesus 
was known as a Nazarene. At one point, people said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was on the wrong side of the tracks, and Jesus came from there. Jesus lived among those that others looked down on. So the founders of our denomination over 100 years ago said, we want to be a church for those kind of folks. This is who we are because this is who Jesus was. So Jesus makes his way back from Egypt, lands in Nazareth. And then we have this, like, skip ahead. It's a time jump. You know, uh, books do this, novels do this, uh, TV shows, movies do this sometimes, you know. Um, I mentioned uh, Gal- Guardians of the Galaxy not too long ago where you got Peter Quill as like a kid at the beginning of the movie and then all of a sudden he's grown up, right? That's what happens here too. Jesus is a, is a baby and then we skip right ahead to, to grown-up Jesus. And, um, but to get to grown-up Jesus, he talks first about John the Baptist. And in chapter 3, Matthew says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This, John, is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. This is what John saw his role was, to prepare the way for Jesus. So he was doing what Isaiah had promised. Jesus shows up and insists on getting baptized because he's living in solidarity with us uh, you know, sinful humans who need our sins washed away. Jesus has no need to repent, but he's joining with us. And so it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, he doesn't quote any of the Old Testament scriptures, but the video mentioned this passage and pointed out some different references. And I know that went by quick and it was written too small, so I wanted, I wanted these in your notes, all right? So that passage there from Matthew 3 is referring to Psalm, Psalm 2, verse 7, about this being my son, about him being uh, uh, son of David. Genesis 22, uh, the son whom I love. It's a reference back to the story of Abraham and his son Isaac. And Isaiah, chapter 42, verse 1, this idea of him being the, the servant uh, Jesus being this, this suffering servant, the servant who will suffer, that God is pleased with. These might be subtle references back, callbacks to th- these three different stories. But immediately after he's baptized, then we get to Matthew chapter 4, where it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. Jesus spends 40 days in the wilderness. All right? And while they're there, uh, Jesus having his back and forth with the devil, Jesus ends up quoting Deuteronomy three times. So I just gave you the references there from chapter 8 and chapter 6. And the devil even. I mean, the first temptation, you know, the devil says, you know, hey, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy and says, oh, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. As Jesus turns to scripture uh, to guide him and to give him strength to resist what he knows is temptation. And so then the next temptation, there are three of them, the next one, the devil quotes scripture, quotes a psalm, and Jesus quotes scripture right back to him, you know. And then the devil tries one more time, Jesus quotes scripture again, saying, you know, you only worship God, don't worship, you can't worship anybody else, and the devil finally leaves him alone. I didn't have room to squeeze all those into your notes, all those quotes from the Old Testament. But that wasn't so much Matthew quoting it to explain Jesus, that was Jesus himself quoting it. As he lives this life, as he, as he lives faithfully, the life God calls him to live. And then finally we get to the passage, the little extended passage from Matthew chapter 4. It says, when Jesus heard that John, the Baptist, had been put in prison, 
he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said to the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. He said, man, when Jesus showed up, when Jesus walked into the room, when he entered your town, when he would, he would enter into dark places that other people thought, oh, we don't, we don't go there. Good, good people don't go there. Jesus walked into those places and brought light to those living in darkness. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's the same message that John the Baptist had been preaching. This is Jesus' message, which uh, in the video they said, turn around. That's basically what repent means. One way to look at that, turn around. The kingdom of heaven has come near, is arriving, is here and now. So get off the path you were on and, and get on this path. You know? Or it also uh, um, has overtones of like allegiance, shifting your allegiance. This, this idea of repenting for the kingdom of heaven has come near, this is similar to the message that uh, the Romans would announce when Rome conquered a new area. Uh, like if, if the battle's being fought, you know, let's, let's say, uh, so let's imagine. Okay, let's say uh, the USA is at war with Russia, let's say, or whatever, and we send all of our troops to, uh, to someplace between here and Russia, right? Um, and uh, it doesn't work real well because there's a big ocean in the middle of us, but I think you get the idea, all right? Let's, oh, okay, let's say we go to war with Brazil and we fight in Mexico. There, that, that way can be a land, a land war, all right? So, so all the troops are far away, right? They're not here in America, they're in Mexico fighting the people on the other. And let's say Brazil wins, then they send people up to the United States saying, hey, repent, the, the kingdom of Brazil is coming. This is, this is what Rome would announce. They'd conquered the military and they'd show up to the town that had been depending on that military and they'd say, repent, the rule of Rome has arrived. Hey, the peace, the peace of Rome is finally here. The war is over. You've got new rulers now. It's a very similar phrase that they would use that, that Matthew puts on the lips of Jesus. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. He's saying it's time to shift your allegiance. Quit, quit giving your allegiance to you know, whatever you had given it to before, because now the kingdom of heaven, which is a, a way of saying the kingdom of God, pious Jews wouldn't say the name of God, and so they would use references like kingdom of heaven to refer to the kingdom of God is arriving. God is asserting his authority and his rule here and now, shining his light into very dark places. We get a little... Uh, a couple of paragraphs about Jesus calling his first disciples. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. He's beginning to gather, he's beginning to gather his disciples, those who will walk with him, serve alongside him, learn from him, just like a, a rabbi would have disciples in those days, people that they would teach their perspective to, so that as they tried to understand the scriptures and how God works in the world, they could refer back to their, to their rabbi's perspective and teaching, and that's what he's doing now with, with these fishermen. He doesn't choose the, the best students. These are, like, these are kind of the washouts. These are, these are the folks who, who uh, 
you know, couldn't get into Harvard and Yale, you know, whatever. They, they, they took a year at a community college and then they started working in dad's shop and, you know, for dad's fishing business. And they're just like, ah, you know what, never mind. The education's not for me. I'm not going to become a rabbi. I'm not going to become a Hebrew scholar. I'm just going to fish like dad did. And Jesus, this rabbi, is how they viewed him. Every time you see Jesus called teacher, that's what teacher is, a rabbi. He, he comes through and he calls them to be his disciples. And then this, this jumped out at me, this little summary sentence. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Matthew uses this as a little summary of what Jesus went about doing. He uses it again in chapter 9, you'll see, if you decide to read Matthew uh, this month. He's teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. People brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And then chapter 5 starts, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And as the video mentioned, Matthew divides Jesus' teachings into five big blocks, kind of to parallel the five books of Moses, the five books of the Torah that, that we spent the first five months looking at. And uh, this is the beginning of the first block that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And I think he's describing Jesus up on the mountain to remind them of when Moses went up on the mountain and got the law from God and then came down and proclaimed it to the people. Jesus now is doing that. So what I want us to take away today, now that we're, whew, man, the end of this whole time. Sorry. Um, maybe, that was, maybe I spent too much time walking through all of that. Um, it's just fascinating to me that, that these gospel writers, they definitely see Jesus as the fulfillment of, the culmination of all that God had been doing through their people over the generations. And now here he is teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. I mean, he teaches like, like Moses did. And he brings, he brings instruction from God. And we need to listen, right? We need to allow ourselves to be taught by Jesus. We need to listen to what he says. And as he, as he says at the end of chapter 7, the end of this Sermon on the Mount, it's not enough just to hear what he says. We have to actually put it into practice. We have to do something with what he teaches us. He says, well, that's as foolish as building a house without a foundation. And storms of life come and it just, just knocks over. It doesn't do you any good to just listen and not do something with it. Will you be willing to listen as Jesus teaches We'd be willing to, to give some time reading what Matthew had to write for us so that we can understand Jesus better, so we can hear what he has to say, so we can have his perspective be ours as we walk through this life. He was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He was calling people to repent, saying, look, the, the kingdom of God is, is coming. Will you hear this proclamation? Will you shift your allegiance to Jesus? Will you allow him to be king, to be Lord? of your life. And he comes healing every disease and sickness among the people. Um, this is God showing up on the scene. Emmanuel, God with us. And what do we expect God to do? You know, this is the life of God coming where there's death and, and bringing life. It's, it's when Jesus meets a leper that everyone's afraid to touch because, you know, you could get it, right? And Jesus walks up and says, no, no, it, it doesn't work that way. It goes the other way, <laughs> The, the healing power of God is, is stronger than this skin disease that this guy has. And when Jesus touches the leper, the leper's cleansed. When God shows up on the scene, it's, it's amazing. He's teaching, 
proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. So will we shift our allegiance to Jesus? That's, that's what we are called to do. We are called to do just what Jesus said to those fishermen. Where he says, come, follow me. Will you do that? Will you be willing to do that? Will you give this next month at least to reading the book of Matthew and, and taking a closer look at Jesus and seeing, okay, I want to make sure I've, I'm seeing Jesus for who he is. I just heard somebody uh, make reference this last week to, to some of people who would say, oh, my Jesus wouldn't say that or my Jesus wouldn't do that. I'm like, okay, that's nice that you've got your own personal Jesus. Yeah. Someone to hear your prayers, someone who cares, right? Is that how the song goes? Um, let's, let's actually learn about the Jesus that lived and walked and was here that, that Matthew testifies to in Mark and Luke and John. I mean, these, Jeremiah was the longest book in the Bible. You know, if you, if you even tried to get through that, Matthew will be a cakewalk, right? You'll get to the end of Matthew later today, and you'll be like, oh, I might as well read Mark and Luke and John this month too, you know. At the very least, let's get through, let's get through the 28 chapters of, of Matthew, 28, something like that. Let's get through Matthew, and let's see Jesus. We're finally here. Uh, so let's listen to him. And let's do more than listen. Let's, let's follow him. Right now, I'd love for us to bow our heads and pray before we celebrate communion together. Thank you, God. Man, sometimes it seems like we had to wait a long time for you to finally do what you've promised to do. And I know that there are some of us here in this room that have been waiting for quite some time, praying for quite some time for themselves, for a loved one. And God, I pray that you'd help us to continue to trust you and to keep our eyes open for when you do, in fact, show up on the scene. Please, God, help us not to lose faith. Help us to continue to be ready, to be watching, to keep our eyes open, our ears open, to be ready for you to show up, maybe in ways we didn't expect. But God, I pray and I, I expect that as we, as we look at what Matthew had to say, as we look to the scriptures and read about Jesus, that God, your Holy Spirit will be actively at work in us as we read, as we listen and your spirit will help us to meet the man himself. Not just words on a page, but that we will find ourselves having a conversation with you, Jesus. Confessing to you our need of your grace and your mercy. Admitting to you that we don't have this life figured out. We thought we did. We tried it. We took our lives into the ditch and we need you to restore us, to redeem us, to teach us how to live this life in a way that, that pleases you. God, we need you to help us to shift our allegiances from, from all the other things that claim our attention, our affections, our allegiance, all the other things we can be committed to and devoted to, those things that our, our culture and our lives shape us to want and to desire. God, would you, would you shape our hearts to, to desire you and your kingdom above all else? God, help us to want to know you better so that we might experience whatever it is that you have for us, so that we might receive your, your healing, your grace, your compassion, your goodness as God shows up in our lives today. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for coming to us in your son, Jesus Christ, and thank you that when Jesus had, had joined himself to us and taken on himself our sin, our brokenness, even our death, that you didn't leave him 
there. Sin did not have the final say, nor did the grave or the devil, but you raised him from death. Jesus, you conquered sin and death and the devil so that we can be set free, so you can share with us your life, your freedom, your joy. Help us to experience that life. Thank you that we get a chance to not just commemorate it, but to experience it in this sacrament of Holy Communion. We offer to you these gifts of bread and juice, and we pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood, remembering the great price you paid, Lord Jesus, to set us free. We, we lift our hearts to you, full of gratitude, and, and again, God, admitting we have not loved you with our whole hearts. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We need your grace and your mercy. And we thank you that because of Jesus, we can, we can approach your throne of grace with confidence, Lord, to receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what the Bible tells us. That's what we have experienced to be true. So help us today to come to you confident that you will not turn us away, but that instead you will give us the grace that we need, the mercy that you long to give us if we will just come to you. God, as we offer ourselves to you today, we pray that by your Spirit's transforming work, you would change us from the inside out so that we might live in this world as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet, continuing the work that you started, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit at work here and now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, would you pray with me the prayer Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Uh, Matt's going to come and lead us in one last song. And, and as he does, uh, as we sing, you're invited to come forward and, and celebrate communion. Um, you can grab a piece of bread, whether it's the regular little pita bread or the, or the gluten-free wafers. You can take that bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it, and return to your seats. It's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. And uh, if you can't come forward for some reason or you'd just rather not get that close to folks, we've got some little cups on the table that as we sing, you can peel that back and, and get to the bread and peel it back and get to the juice. Again, this is, this is up for all of us who are hungry for God's grace. So let's celebrate and let's give him thanks. Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen.
upon his shoulders ashamed i hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished his dying breath has brought me life i know that it is finished I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no but I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Oh, thank you again, God. For the love you have shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ, fill us with the Spirit of Christ, we pray, so that as we leave this place, as we go to all the different places you send us this day, this week, we can go carrying your grace, your light, your love. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.